You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. Listen, and literally listen, this episode right here, I'm just going to go on record and say this is one of my favorite all-time shows because it's about sound. And the science behind sound and how it affects the human body is bananas and pajamas. All right, this stuff is crazy and it's crazy powerful. And I've been wanting to talk about this for quite some time, but I didn't have the right resource. I didn't have the right person. And now we have the world's leading authority on the subject matter here on the show today to talk about how sound impacts our our physiology. And just to give kind of like a, a common sense version of this, we know that music does in fact affect our physiology. If you take a look at the research, there are several studies showing that music can literally increase or decrease our body's arousal, right? So this can increase our blood pressure, our heart rate, decrease our blood pressure, heart rate, temperature. All these things can be affected by music, including our muscle tension and so much more. So we've had these moments in our lives where we put on certain music and it changes our state. But today you're gonna learn how it literally changes our physiology. So whether you're listening to Tupac or Deepak or uh, Randy Travis or Travis Scott, like it all has a tremendous impact of resonance throughout all the cells in your body as you're gonna learn today. And it's just, it's, it's a truly powerful thing and truly remarkable thing. And I want you to be able to utilize this to your betterment and utilize this intelligently rather than just kind of having these things on automatic and missing out on a valuable healing modality that you can be adding to your life for wellness and also for healing if you find yourself in that position where you need to recover from something because the conversation today is so profound and it and it paints a picture of this so much that's so much bigger than anything that we've thought about before when it comes to modern medicine and we're going to talk about how sound is already very commonly used in conventional medicine, right? So there are therapies, like I'll just give you a heads up, ultrasound that's utilizing sound as a healing modality and also imaging and all those things. But we're gonna talk about what it actually is, what it means, and so much more on this episode. So pumped about this. And, and today we're continuing our focus this month on brain health. And specifically, of course, like the entering point is how sound affects our brain is one of the highlights because we have somebody who's also a neuroscientist who's really dove into the research as far as sound and sound medicine. Uh, but I wanna give you a little nutrition tidbit. And this is probably the first time that I've ever said tidbit in my life, but this is what I wanna give you today. So check this out. There's a recent study published in the Annals of the New York Academy of Sciences that discovered that MCTs, so medium chain triglycerides, can provide energy to weakened brain cells to help them to live longer. And now it's actually being utilized in studies as part of a comprehensive treatment for Alzheimer's. And this is, this is really remarkable because of the simple fact that our brain cells are incredibly valuable. Oftentimes we're not aware that our brain cells are not like the rest of the cells of our bodies. They're kind of in short supply when you think about it, as far as you making new brain cells as you go along through your through, through aging. Many of our brain cells are there when we're baby. We gotta take care of these brain cells. And of course, as the brain is developing, but once the brain reaches maturity, we're not making a lot more brain cells. So these, this commodity is very, very valuable. It's priceless, really. And being able to have something that has been found to provide energy to weaken brain cells to help them to live longer, powerful. And this is when we're looking at something like medium chain triglycerides, having the ability to do that it's not something to just glance over. It's something that we need to utilize and take advantage of as more and more data is still coming out. One of the interesting, interesting things about MCTs is that dietarily speaking, when we consume them, they're in the category of very rare nutrients that are able to cross the blood-brain barrier and actually get to your brain cells in the first place. A lot of the stuff that we consume through our nutrition isn't able to do that. Your brain is very highly selective in what it allows to get into that VIP section 
being in your brain. So MCTs have that capacity to, to feed and nourish and to heal your brain in that way, but also in the production of ketones, which is you know, this alternative fuel source that can help run certain parts of your brain as well. And so when we consume MCTs, even if we're not on a ketogenic diet or fasting and thing like that, we produce ketones, which are kind of this cleaner burning fuels in some aspects, but have been found to really help to improve cognitive function. So really cool stuff there with MCTs, but don't just get random companies MCT oil. Number one, we don't know where the source is. Is this palm? Is it coconut derived? Which one's best? Well, you can get the best source, sustainably grown, and also you're not dealing with any nefarious things from conventional gathering of these MCTs, right? So we're, we're getting organic and we're also enjoying the process, right? Because with so many different things out there, if you don't know where the source is, where you're getting your stuff, there's so much contamination. The, the field of supplements is very underregulated. And so just going to people that you know, like, and trust to get our supplements is of the utmost importance. And for me, I get my MCT oil exclusively from Onnit. They're doing stuff the right way. And not only do they have the kind of uh, conventional type of MCT oil, which is this clear oil, they also have emulsified MCT oils, which are more like a coffee creamer consistency. So they're easy to mix into your drinks like coffees and teas and things like that. Whereas before, like I would have to take my MCT oil, you know, put the tea or coffee into like a blender and then try to get them to mix together, right? But with, with the MCT oils from Onnit, the emulsified MCT oils, it's just such a pleasure. I literally travel, I bring the bottle with me because I don't wanna be without it. I don't wanna try to go and find MCT oil somewhere else. And I just love the way it makes me feel and uh, I love the way it tastes as well. So highly, highly recommend for brain food Get yourself some MCT oil from Onnit. Go to onnit.com forward slash model. That's O-N-N-I-T dot com forward slash model. And you get 10% off everything they carry. Not just the MCT oil, but also their incredible supplements that are from earth-grown nutrients. Many of them have been put through double-blind placebo-controlled studies. This company's actually done that with their products. And so their pre-workouts, their snacks and foods, awesome stuff. Head over, check them out, onnit.com forward slash model. That's O-N-N-I-T.com forward slash model. And now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled Informative, Fun, and Easy to Understand by Lionel Hutz. Sean is an excellent health educator. As a science teacher myself, I appreciate the work and the craft that goes into breaking down complicated concepts and explaining them in a way that is digestible for first-time learners. Plus, Sean has a unique sense of humor that keeps me laughing. On my first listen, he said, let's all give a shout out to the brain's lymphatic system, working while we sleep, which cracked me up. But all good teachers know using humor helps students retain information. It worked. Highly recommended. That just totally made my day. Thank you so much for leaving me that review over on Apple Podcasts. And you being an educator, and having these things resonate with you. That's what this episode is all about as well. And being able to impact at a deeper level and specifically being a health educator, this information today is super powerful. So thank you so much for tuning in to the show. And everybody, listen, if you yet to do so, please pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the Model Health Show if you haven't done so. And listen, I appreciate that so very much. It means so much to the mission and to impacting other people, letting everybody know what you think about the show really does matter. So please pop over and do that if you haven't done so. And on that note, let's get to our special guest and our topic of the day. Our guest today is Dr. Kolrich Chaudhry, and she's combined expertise in both modern neurology and the ancient science of health known as Ayurveda and has uniquely positioned herself as an expert able to pull from the broadest possible base to treat her patients. Dr. Chaudhry is also a regular guest contributor on the Dr. Oz Show, and she was the director of Wellsprings Health in Scripps Memorial Hospital for 10 years and remains a pioneer in the field of integrative medicine. Dr. Chaudhry has successfully developed a powerful system to manage chronic neurological disorders such as multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's disease, migraine headaches, and more by incorporating fundamental changes in diet, behavior, and stress in addition to the standard allopathic approaches that are utilized. 
And in her programs and in her books, she's been able to teach many patients how to be successful in treating not just neurological issues, but also a wide range of health concerns, including weight loss and also chronic disease. And now she's here on the Model Health Show to talk about her brand new book, Sound Medicine. And this is, again, one of my favorite episodes, one of my favorite conversations. So let's jump into this epic conversation with Dr. Colreet Chaudhry. What is your schedule like today? My schedule's flexible. I've just got to deal with my mom who like around lunchtime gets hangry. And so oh my gosh. Well, we have plenty. I mean, yeah, we'll feed we her outside. so much good stuff. But my... <laughs> we have there's a certain there's a certain age. Like once your parents hit a certain age, yeah. your preoccupation is like, when do they have to use the restroom? When do they have yes, to eat? When yes. do they have to go to sleep? It's like having kids again. So I'm very flexible. Conf confession, my wife is like that about me, though. Is it? You know, yes. I, I'm going to be <laughs> so totally honest. You're going to just you're gonna just be awful when you're 80. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to imagine. You know, I got into this habit very early in our relationship. Just, you know, learning from her mother. Mm -hmm. Her mother's an occupational therapist, but she taught me like a oh, lot about... Oh, mom's a physical therapist. My, I, we haven't even talked about this, but my mother-in-law taught me meditation. She's been meditating for like 30 years. You were, what form of meditation did she teach TM. So You're TM is what she started. You're kidding me. That's what I started with. Yep. And then she... And my mom's a TM teacher. I mean, that oh. happened later on in life. Oh my God. That's this is so, so cool. So cool. And then she kind of, um, she's embraced all these other different modalities. Yeah, and, same with my mom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She kind of started with that and then, you know, added on and... Oh, that's really like specific chakra meditation. Yes, you yes. Know. Oh, this yeah. is so cool. And so she brought so much into my life. And I remember when I first, well, it was our second time meeting. Mm -hmm. And the first time I went over there, like you were talking to my wife, you know, them being from Kenya, and they invited me over to eat. I'm just like, what is this going to be? Because I was very like Americana, yeah. you know. And uh, so I ate a bunch of cereal before I went over oh, just to be gosh. like, all right. But it was like the best food I've ever no, had. No, I mean, Kenyan food yeah. and Ethiopia, like it's it's flavorful food. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Your wife so is good. lovely. Oh, isn't she lovely? She's just lovely. There's a Stevie Wonder song basically isn't about she her. Lovely? There it is, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so what was so crazy is the second time I went over there, her mother was talking and I just saw there was like a doctor like sitting on her couch and like getting counsel from her about like, oh, and I'm just like, wow. why are they listening to your mom, you know? Wow. And then her mom said this statement to me. She was like, if I can give everyone in the world one gift, it would be meditation. I 100% agree. I said that as a physician and that yeah. became a huge focus of my practice was if, you know, never in a pushy way, because I always wanted to be something that somebody was interested in. Yeah. Um, but if I could give that to every person on the planet, we would change, transform, you know, transform it immediately. And that's one of the real inspirations behind this, uh, this book. Yeah. But you know, for the uninformed or unaffiliated person to hear a statement like that, coming like I'm like in college and I'm like, you know, I'm a personal trainer. I just think uh -huh. I got everything figured out. I'm a guy. Yeah. <laughs> and she said that statement to me. I was All like, these things against you. <laughs> why would you say that? Like, if you can give everybody, like, give me a million dollars, you know, like no, I had that thought. It's, it's worth so much more. Yes. We've had, you know, with the center we're working, we've had billionaires come from yeah. all over the world. And, um, you know, the things that we do there, the sound best, and they're like, this is what I'm looking for. Like, they have everything, yeah. but it's still not enough. Right. It's not. Yeah, it's still this not. is the thing. Like, she introduced yeah. me to myself. Well, that changed. is so beautiful. <sighs> you should was, write a book about that. Yeah, like just that so, might be the next one. You know, one, that's a beautiful. You know? Well, that's why you're wife's so lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think she was I mean, maybe like two or three when she started meditating. Yeah, when you get yeah. raised in that environment, it cultivates a certain softness and yeah. a certain resilience and yeah. a certain openness to life. Yeah, I definitely, I was a very impatient person. Mm -hmm. um, I was unknowingly self-centered because I kind of grew up in like yeah. a volatile environment. Yeah. And it just completely shifted. Well, it's self-protective. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's really not self, it's self-protective. And exactly. then when those things come down, then... Yeah. Automatically that's when everything opened up. Yeah. You know, well, I went from like what a beautiful relationship. I know. So grateful. Beautiful. Like she changed everything for me. But this is such a good transition into this because for me to be a willing participant, she had to speak to my I'm a very analytical person. Mm -hmm. no, Just I'm like, saying. okay, here's some of the science on it. Yeah. And so your new book is Sound Medicine, and I was so excited. My team knows I've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now. <laughs> but so you say in the book, you say that from a pure physics perspective, sound is actually silent. Yes. So what do you mean by that? Well, the way that we have defined sound is 
actually what the human ear and the human brain is able to interpret. And so it's a very narrow set of frequencies that we call sound. Mm. And so because we can hear those frequencies, we say, oh, okay, those frequencies are making noise, but the other ones are not. But then when you look at other animals, um, you know, dogs are a great example because they're a part of many of our daily lives. They hear frequencies that the human ear doesn't hear. So are the frequencies that they're able to hear not sound because we don't hear them? So the reality is that the universe and our bodies are filled with frequencies. Some we're able to hear, a very small percentage we're able to hear, but the vast majority we don't hear. And so sound is actually just vibration, and that vibration is predominantly silent. Yeah, yeah. What, what was also fascinating is the fact, so first of all, we understand that these are frequencies. We get in this conversation about you know waves and particles, yeah. but you can't see my voice, right. yet this is like showing up inside of your head. Exactly. Can you talk about how we're actually able to hear, which is a miracle in and of itself? It really is. I mean, we go. it goes through this process of a very mechanical process um, in the inner ear where the impulses, the mechanical impulses that are created by sound are translated then into neurological impulses, um, you know, and carried by a particular nerve, auditory nerve into the brain as um, frequencies. And then the brain actually translates that into content. And this to me is um, really fascinating because Sound as a perception, really there's no judgment to it, right? It's sound is just picked up as a sense through the hearing. And then your brain deciphers that and decides, you know, is this a good sound? Is this a bad sound? Is this a sound that reminds me of something that happened? So you could be listening to a really beautiful song and it could trigger um, maybe a feeling of loss because mm-hmm. it's associated to some experience. And so there's this kind of magical process that happens in the brain that takes a relatively mathematical signal and turns it into a feeling. Yeah, so fascinating. And so even us like creating sound is very interesting, yes. right? It's like it's like the, the lungs and then we yeah. kind of have this dance with the vocal cords, right? Absolutely, and yeah. And then I'm throwing that out and hitting your, these little bones, it's the smallest bones in the body, right? If you look at it, it's, it's, it's a very intimate experience to have. Like when we look at intimacy between human beings, we oftentimes look at intimacies, you know, between partners and what happens, you know, behind closed doors. But with sound, I mean, you're producing something in your body that somebody else is then receiving and having a reaction to, and it's going back and forth, back and forth, and it's changing your biochemistry. And if you think about, you know, if you walk into a situation where somebody suddenly yells at you, or, um, you know, you come to work and um, somebody has something really awful to say about you, uh, immediately, the shift in your body, immediately the shift in your biochemistry in response to that sound, right? Because you're communicating using sound. And the opposite is also true. So it's a very intimate experience. And I always remind people that because of the magnitude of influence you have through your voice to other people on in terms of their biochemistry, to take your words seriously, I mean, to be as cautious with your words as you would driving your car. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can cause a considerable amount of harm in somebody's life by the way you use your words, as well as tremendous amount of joy in the way that you use your words. Mm. You're entering them through your words. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So powerful. So powerful. <laughs> so in the book, you talk about there's this relationship to sound and vibration. Uh, and it's measured. We, we use hertz. Yes. So what are some examples of this, these hurts. So like the male voice is a little different spectrum than female voice, for example. It is, it is. And so human beings, they can um, perceive hurt. The range is roughly between uh, 20 hertz to about 16,000 hertz for um, an adult human being. And so hertz is just a way of 
measuring vibrations. Mm -hmm. It's these cycles per second. And so we use Hertz not just for sound, um, but we also use Hertz um, for light. We use Hertz for electromagnetic waves. So we use Hertz for any kind of a, a measurement for any kind of a wave. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, 240 hertz is roughly about what a police siren, you know, sounds like. Um, and so you can see like the full spectrum of just how much actually um, the human ear is able, you know, to perceive when you look at the range being from about 20 to 16,000. And yet there is so much above and below it that we do not hear. So interesting. So in the book, it was so cool as you give an example. And for me, it immediately made like a distinction. And you mentioned that middle C on a piano, for example, it's 262 hertz. And typical female voice is somewhere around 165 yes. to upwards of 255. Typical male voice is a lower hertz at 85 to about 180. And so these are all, again, like the spectrum that we're picking up. And you say also in the book, you talk about it's not just our, our ears and, you know, that translation to the brain, but our, our entire body, all exactly. of our cells are, have the ability to, quote, hear yes, these Yes, it's hertz. exactly right. So there was actually a study done, um, and, you know, people always say, well, wh what's the data in sound? I said, you have to remember that studies are done when people start looking. Studies are done when science starts to change and they start looking for evidence of something, that's when you start to find it. So the absence of evidence for something doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, it means we haven't been looking. And so as we started to look at the significance of sound as a medical tool, then studies started to come out that looked at, well, how is this really happening? And so there was a study done that identified um, the primary cilia, which is um, an aspect of every single cell on your body and it actually picks up the frequency in the surrounding environment. Now remember, we're mostly water, and water picks up frequency, and the surrounding fluid of every cell is aqueous, it, it contains water in it. And so these primary cilia will actually vibrate in response to, they'll, they'll resonate with a frequency, and they will change the charge of a protein, and then the cell itself changes. That is so unbelievably profound that sound can change cellular structure because cellular structure will actually change the function of an organ. Right. And they're starting to see that defects in the gene for this primary cilia can lead to um, medical conditions um, such as uh, cancer, you know, arthritis. Um, and as we start to look at this, we'll probably see more and more things that are associated with an inability to pick up frequency correctly through the primary cilia. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So essentially, you know, we have trillions of cells. Yeah. And these primary cilia are like little antenna. Yes. That are picking up sound, picking up vibration, picking up these frequencies. And it can literally change the conformation, the, the shape of the proteins, how they're performing. Exactly. All of them. All at Based once, on too, because when you have, you know, think about it, if you had a trillion employees, you know, how quickly would you need to get a message out to them? Yeah. And so sound traveling through our body is an extremely efficient and effective way to get a message out of what's happening in our environment. And it's also a very efficient way to send a message, you know, to all of our cells when we use sound purposefully. Yeah. You know, something that I thought was fascinating as, re as I was reading the book was how you know we're, we're exposed constantly to sound yes. but we have your brain is so adept at tuning in and tuning out to certain sounds yes. because i think we would potentially just go crazy if we actually picked up all <laughs> of exactly the sound right. happening at once right it's exactly so it's right. just like even in a, a crowded room you can tune in and just hear one person's voice yeah or you can listen to the air conditioner blowing or you could it's so cool. Well, and think about like, you you know, motherhood changes your perspective yeah. of your own self. Like you become bionic when you become <laughs> a mother because you can walk into a room of a thousand screaming babies and know which one is yours. Yeah. Um, and so it's, you know, it's an amazing, amazing tool. And this is also when you understand the ability of the mind to do that and to train that, this is where techniques such as um, meditation using mantras become so important because it helps your mind to become even more selective about the sounds that you're creating in the terms of thoughts. That even when you are tuning out white noise that you don't want in your environment, 
Um, it becomes even more powerful when you're able to tune out, you know, the white noise of negative thoughts or right. repetitive patterns that are no longer serving you. Right. So powerful. I said this like five times already. It is. Um, I'm now, geeking out here. I'm geeking <laughs> out here. One of the coolest things in the book is just like we all are aware of this, but we don't really think about yes. it. I never thought about this, that sound is already used in conventional medicine so much. Yes. But we're looking at, so we have that range of hertz that we can right. hear, you know, um, th the average person can hear. But modern medicine uses these frequencies that we can't hear. So yes. there's this whole spectrum of sound outside of that. So let's talk about that. When I was first looking at the way that sound was used, because it's not that we don't use sound in modern medicine. And so it's not that we don't acknowledge that there's a biological basis for the use of it. It's just that we're primarily using inaudible frequencies, whereas in um, ancient traditions, you know, they use inaudible and audible frequencies. So have you ever had an ultrasound or do you know anybody who's had an ultrasound? Yeah, I just had one a couple weeks Did ago. You? <laughs> yeah. So ultrasound is a form of sound medicine. The way the underlying technology of ultrasound is using sound waves. Lithotripsy is another example for anybody who's had a kidney stone. It's um, sound waves that are applied outside of the body to break up the stone. But all of these are inaudible sounds. And what we're not diving into is what is the value of audible sound? And in a way, it doesn't make sense to me because we're using the, the frequencies that we don't pick up and that we're not wired to respond to, but we're not using those that we would immediately have a response to. Mm. But look at the industries that are using it. The entertainment industry. Could you imagine mm. watching a movie without a soundtrack? kind of suck a little yeah right and so the <laughs> entertainment industry understands that right. if you don't have sound to emote a response you are not as fully engaged yeah. and even when you go into a restaurant or you go into a shopping center they have music playing because they've looked at what kind of music will make you eat more or or purchase more so it's being used on right. us but we're not using it in a way um deliberately to improve our mental and physical health yeah, you even cited a study in the book finding that music affects a part of the brain associated with events Yes, and even lo like certain locations, yes. right? And so immediately when I heard that, I thought about how certain sounds trigger us, a certain memory, like it's it can exactly put you right, right back there. And I thought about like, talking about a movie, Cindy Lauper's song, I think it's called like Good Enough. And it's from the Goonies, this movie called The Goonies. <laughs> yeah. And I immediately was like, it takes me right back there if I hear that song. Right. Or, you know, there's this song by this group called Jodeci that was popping when I was like preteen or something. Uh -huh. And it, it, when I hear the song, I'm like at my girlfriend's house, right. like her aunt's house. Like, you know what I mean? It's so powerful that sound has the ability to do that, but we don't no, think about it. We don't. And, you know, there's so many other conditions that are being used, that sound is being used to treat like depression, anxiety, even helping patients um, with Alzheimer's disease. But I completely agree to this day. I, I'm a Bollywood uh, music uh, junkie. And so, <laughs> yeah. you know, cause I, I listened to it growing up and as yeah. soon as I hear it, I'm like 16 years ago again, you know? Oh my gosh, that's so <laughs> So powerful, right? And so just to uh, circle back a little bit. Um, so the Hertz you mentioned that we can hear, then below that we have the infrasonic, yeah. right? And then we have the ultrasonic, which is above that. And ultrasound is one of the things you mentioned. Right. So I want to talk about examples of ultrasound treatment. So we've got magnetic resonance guided yes. focus ultrasound. Yes. It's been found, and you noted this in the book, to actually it's able to liquefy unwanted growths. Yeah. Such as so this is phenomenal. And this is what I mean by if we would be willing to just dive into the science of sound, then the technologies would automatically come about. Um, but this is um, focused sound waves onto a particular area of the body using um, uh, the imaging of MRI, and they can actually liquefy tumors, such as you know for women who have um, uterine fibroids, which can be very, very um, disabling. It can actually liquefy those tumors without affecting anything in the surrounding area without any surgery. So there's almost no recovery time um, you know, there's no other complications that you would see with surgery, but what else could we be doing with sound? I mean, this is just like the, the tip of the iceberg. That's so powerful. And then as you mentioned earlier, so those are the, um, 
ultrasonic, but then the infrasonic, those are used for, like you mentioned, breaking up kidney stones. Like that was a huge shift in medicine yeah. because prior to that, it's just like, we got to go in and cut. Exactly. You know what I mean? So, wow, so powerful. And there's so many other things that we may be doing invasively that doesn't require that, you know, that type of recovery time. Yeah. When we think about, you know, like what we watched, like in Star Trek and, you mm -hmm. know, all of these like advanced devices, they're all vibrational devices. They're not cutting the skin whatsoever. So even on, in a pop culture level, we have already projected and accepted that in the future, we would be using devices that are essentially recording and, and interacting with us on a vibrational level. So cool. But why so, not now? Like, why don't right, we do this now? We, right. we have this information. And you're opening up the conversation. <laughs> and one of the things that, and some of these treatments are approved by you know FDA yes. and they're already in use. Some of them are more used in Europe, as you mentioned. Yes. But one of them, so the high intensity focus ultrasound is approved and it's being used, it can actually treat and affect the brain yes. for essential tremor and even tumor ablation. Yes. What? Yes, and in for many of these treatments, we would actually have to go in and do neurosurgery and either um, you know, insert devices which have you know, huge risks, risks yeah. of bleed. And it would be a very difficult conversation to have with, um, you know, patients and their family of, well, one of the risks of the procedure could be death. And we're now looking at an entirely new way of approaching people with these devastating conditions that are virtually risk-free. Yeah, man. So thank you for sharing that because I wanted to give people an insight into the science that's actually already being used. Yeah. But now I want to dive deeper into how sounds that we can hear affect yes. us. And just from a kind of experiential level, let's think about and to discuss how just like certain sounds affect our physiology. For example, hearing a, a, an ambulance right. or a gunshot instantly changes our physiology. Let's talk about that. We are creatures that are designed to respond to sound. And that sounds kind of uh, obvious on one level. Um, you know, just as basic survival needs, we would need to know what's happening in our environment. But there's a much deeper side to this than just being able to hear the emergencies, um, such as an ambulance coming or a, a gun firing. That affects, like, it, was it the LC? Yes. Our brains, correct? Yes. Yeah. And we have also a, a place in our, our brain, the amygdala, that is particularly wired to respond to sound, which is linked to our emotions. It is involved in processing trauma. And so we have places in our brain that become easily accessible through sound in a way that we're otherwise not able to tap into. And what I mean by that is, um, like for people who have suffered from uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, they may not be able to, you know, through like psychotherapy, through um, medications alone, be able to deal with the trauma. And yet sound is able to go in and start to change the firing of some of these areas in the brain. Yeah. Yeah. And I can speak experientially, like growing up in a neighborhood where you hear gunshots, mm -hmm. You know, if there's a sound, a car backfiring for me, some people yeah. are just like, oh, whatever. But for me, I'm ducking. I'm right. like looking at where I'm going to run. You know, it's just built, kind of built in. It is built in, but it can yeah. be reprogrammed through sound. Yeah. Yeah. When, you, when you look at when a trauma is stored by sound, it should be reprogrammable also through sound. Mm. 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 We don't think about that. We don't. Ah, so cool. But we used to, you know, when we say we don't think about it, we're really saying we don't think about it today, mm. but our ancestors and ancient civilizations um, that we're the descendants of, they did think about that and they did appreciate that. And sound was a major aspect of their medical traditions. Yeah. It's so interesting how stuff just kind of like... It does. It's like, <laughs> it's like bell bottoms. I swore, <laughs> you know, when I remember seeing the pictures of my mom, I'm like, I will never, ever wear those. And, sure uh, you know, sure enough, I'm like, oh, man, this is this is this is officially a bell bottom <laughs> that I'm, I'm wearing. <laughs> so you noted. So we have the just kind of uh, very visceral and just to have that experience for everybody. Like we've heard having experiences where we hear a loud sound mm -hmm. or alarming sound and it, we feel it in our bodies. Right. But on the other side, there are these powerful therapeutic benefits to sound. And you mentioned one study published in Scientific Reports 
finding that sounds of nature are able to yes. actually increase attention capacity yes. and shift our nervous system into parasympathetic mode. And these sounds of nature, um, when we talk about the use of mantras in ancient civilizations, mantras, the way that we use nowadays is very different from the way that they were referred to in the past. Mantras um, nowadays are usually like, you know, the Nike, just do it. Those are really mm -hmm. affirmations or those are really thought patterns that we're repeating. But mantras were actually said to be sounds coming from nature that were mm. perceived on a very, very, very subtle level. And so these sounds of nature um, that we're starting to study, you can say that they have even subtler frequencies. So listening to the sound of the ocean, listening to the sounds um, that uh, whales may make or that uh, uh, birds make, that they have even subtler and subtler frequencies which have been passed down from you know thousands and thousands of years in the form of mantras as these are the reverberations of nature that are healing to the human mind and to the human body. Yeah. Uh, again, there's so much research already affirming this, yeah. like just the sounds of water, yes. for example. And many of us have experienced that and how calming and relaxing it changes our physiology. But also we get into a conversation about your association to the thing. Because I thought about a story. Um, we did this event. It was called Phenom it's a Phenomenal Life event. We do it annually. And it's myself. It's the number one motivational speaker in the world, Eric Thomas, the rest of his team. But CJ, who's been on this, this show as well, he heads up kind of their, their company. And we one of these trips, this event was on a cruise ship, which I'm, just, I'm not a big fan of, you know, mm -hmm. just like I, I like to be able to just go if I want to go, you know, but I can't because we're in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> So, but CJ is kind of the same, but apparently we had some pretty rough waters the uh -huh. first day. And so everybody's like, I felt even in the middle of the night, like I felt like I was rolling off the bed, uh -huh. right? Constantly. But CJ was in another room feeling the same way. And his wife, to help her sleep, she put on sounds of the ocean. Yes. And he felt like he was like in the ocean, like drowning, <laughs> you know? And so he had this very negative association to sure. it. And he woke up in fear. You know, and sure. but like you mentioned, we can reprogram these things. Absolutely. Too. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so the association is is a, is a powerful thing here. So now, again, this would seem to be pretty common sense with the calming sounds, but there's some deeper complex systems at play. Let's talk about resonance mm. and brain entrainment. Absolutely. So resonance is when the frequency of one object causes a second object to begin vibrating at that same frequency. And so the kind of most um, common example um, that people give are with tuning forks, that if you have tuning forks of the same frequency, if you um, tap one, it will begin to cause the second one to vibrate just because through the process of resonance. Mm. The reason why this is so important is it opens up this entire possibility that if and we're you know we we now know this that all of our cells actually have a resonant frequency um they have a resonant frequency when they are healthy and so if we know this if we know that everything has a resonant frequency when it goes out of its harmonious frequency the property of resonance brings up the possibility of bringing that tissue back into resonance and so entrainment which is associated with resonance, but entrainment is when, like for example, when your brain starts to fire, um, when your brain cells begin to fire in response to an external rhythmic pattern, such as music or such as sound, it mm. actually changes the pattern of um, firing in your brain. It changes the electrical pattern of the brain. Now in the book, when you're talking about brain entrainment, you actually give an example of folks coming back, you know, veterans after World War II, yes. right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, for veterans coming back from World War II, when, and to me it's surprising that this happened so early in history, yeah. um, that we're dealing with all of the horrors, you know, that happened to us um, as individuals when we have to be exposed to that. They used music therapy to help with the traumas that were suffered by these um, war veterans. And this is where some of the work in brain entrainment started to come out because they were having these profound shifts, again, with, without involving the conscious mind the way that we typically would, like through therapy, but it was just simply through 
changing the firing of key areas of the brain, such as the amygdala that is associated with emotional trauma through the use of music, through the use of sound. So powerful because we, you know, of course, being uh, entrained or exposed to a lot of negative or heightening, you know, exactly. sounds and it's kind of like the opposite. That's thing. a really good point. Brain entrainment happens both positive and negative. It's yeah. just that we're oftentimes subjected to the negative. And in sound medicine, we're doing it on purpose for the betterment of the individual. Entrainment is actually something that we see in nature. When you see birds flying in formation, mm -hmm. that is a result of entrainment. So entrainment is a property that you see in nature again and again. Mm. And you noted that it was so effective, like they started keeping musicians on staff at hospitals. Yes, isn't, and isn't that beautiful? And yeah. I had a family member, and this was such a, a, a beautiful experience, um, devastating neurological condition, and um, which would automatically, you know, result in um, feelings of anxiety and depression, and especially just having the environment of the ICU. And as soon as they brought in the um, sound therapists, um, and they would bring in um, a musician to play. Um, the heart rate automatically went down. There was a condition where the autonomic nervous system became um, haphazard, meaning the heart rate would go up, um, blood pressure would go up. And as soon as they brought in the musician, everything went down without any medications whatsoever. Incredible. So incredible. Uh, you also noted a Finnish study in the book and finding that listening to Mozart's Violin Concerto Number no. 3 in G major for 20 minutes enhanced the activity of genes involved in secretion of dopamine, yes. as well as genes connected to learning and memory. Sound affects our gene expression. Yes, and this was something that, um, you know, my, my spiritual teacher in India had given this specific mantra and said, this mantra helps with normalizing or reversing gene mutations. And when I first heard it, I was just like, what? Like, how, you know, how is that actually possible? And then as I started to do the, the research, I was like, wait a minute, we actually already know that this is possible. Mm. If we know this is possible, why aren't we using it, you know, to help people with gene expression? Like, we have these ideas of this brave new world that everything's going to happen in a test tube and that the people who are changing genetic transcriptions are going to be wearing lab coats. Well, what if they're musicians? Mm, mm. That's so powerful. Well, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about music therapy, you know, that growing field and also how we can start to apply this into mm. our own lives. We're going to do that right after this quick break. So sit tight. We'll be right back. Hey everybody, with all of the things that we're exposed to today, the environmental toxicity, the weird stuff showing up in our food supply, we've gotta do things to really support our immune system. Our immune system is really running the show on so many different levels to keep us healthy. And one of the most powerful things for supporting a healthy immune system is making sure that we're getting in some immunomodulators. So what does that mean? These are substances that can help to elevate our immune system in response to things that might be trying to creep their way into our body, into our cells, and defend us against those things. But it can also bring the immune system back down, calm it down if things are running too hot, aka we're dealing with some autoimmunity. We need things that are intelligent. Many drugs out there that are pushed through pharmaceutical companies, though they mean well, they push your immune system in one direction, and that can really mess things up on the back end, you know, leading to AKA side effects. So to avoid that, getting some natural immunoregulators are gonna be a powerful thing you add into your life. How I do that, and it's been a consistent basis pretty much every single day, I've been using every day, and even had it this morning, the incredible mushroom elixirs from Four Sigmatic. So head over to foursigmatic.com forward slash model. So that's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash model and you're gonna get 10% off all these amazing superfood elixirs. My favorite is the chaga, and chaga's been clinically shown to increase your NK cell activity, so your natural killer cells, over 300%. It's also the most powerful antioxidant that we've ever seen in the history of humanity that humans actually consume. Powerful antioxidant, powerful anti-cancer, powerful immune system regulator. So that's what I use in the morning. I'll get some chaga, and sometimes I'll have it straight, or I'll blend it with some hot water, some healthy fat. So this could be some ghee, this could be some grass-fed butter, this could be some coconut oil, some MCT oil, 
things like that. A little bit of cinnamon, maybe some other fun medicinal herbs you can throw in there. But this has been the daily thing that I've done and I highly recommend you start doing the same thing. They also have the mushroom coffees and my wife is a big fan of these. And so the mushroom coffee mix has cordyceps and chaga in there. And today she ran out, she was like, where's my, where's my coffee? You know, she's not even, ever since we've been together, she hasn't been a coffee drinker, but this has been her daily thing. She loves the way it makes her feel and she doesn't get some weird kind of caffeine spike and crash as well. So head over and check them out. Foursigmatic.com forward slash model for 10% off. Now back to the show. All right, we're back and we're talking with Dr. Colrit Chaudhry about her new book, Sound Medicine, which is blowing my mind. Definitely pick up your copy. It's now available, Sound Medicine. And before the break, we mentioned this growing field of music therapy yeah. actually being used to help treat a various uh, amount of conditions. It can influence depression, mm -hmm. blood pressure. Let's talk about some of the, the signs, some of the benefits seen through uh, music therapy. I think one of the beautiful aspects of music therapy is that it's reaching people, um, reaching patients that seem unreachable. Mm. Um, so people who have suffered, um, you know, severe trauma. And this is in addition to all of the other things that we would be doing. So these are not patients where they haven't been given other treatments, but where the other treatments hit a wall, sound is able to come in and take them further. Mm. Um, and so trauma in particular, depression, anxiety, um, but also conditions like Alzheimer's disease. And if anybody has ever cared for somebody with um, Alzheimer's disease, it's extraordinarily challenging, especially when behavioral issues begin to arise. And so sound, sound therapy in the form of music therapy has been effective in helping patients with Alzheimer's disease and, um, you know, both in terms of improvement in memory, but also improvement in behavior. Yeah. And this, for me, brings about a good space to talk about you being a neuroscientist yes. and looking at, you know, coming in traditionally trained mm -hmm. and just trying to help manage the progressive downfall that we see exactly. with conditions like Alzheimer's. And just, I know it can be heartbreaking, of course, just to see your patients and there's really nothing you could do, but now you know that there are many things you can do that you've been doing. So let's go back and talk a little bit about your story sure. and how you got from you know, coming in. Let's actually go back to your mom. Yes. All right. Who is driving you around today? Driving you got to make sure she LA. gets some food. Yes. Um, and and her story, because her story really was a big on ramp into your story. It was. It's the foundation of my story. Um, you know, in India, we always say that the mother has a hundred times more influence than the father, and I I absolutely do see that in my life in terms of the introduction to meditation to my mother. Um, my mother, when she came to the U.S., leaving a huge extended family in India and all of a sudden diving into all of the challenges of American life, um, you know, alone, um, developed a thyroid condition. And so here's this young mom, um, you know, in a new environment and young kids. And when she went to her endocrinologist, um, who was not, by the way, an integrative endocrinologist, I, I feel like this is just like fate stepping in. She went to a regular endocrinologist um, who said, I think this is a stress-induced condition that given all that you've been through, that your body is responding to stress and strain of a new lifestyle. And so he actually recommended meditation and uh, transcendental meditation at that time was the most available to the medical community. And within six months, her thyroid was completely normal. Mm. And so that was extraordinarily eye-opening for her that a meditation technique, which is essentially it's a use of sound to heal the body. It's a use of sound silently chanted or silently repeated within the mind. She immediately then had my sister and I learn. I was nine at the time and she was seven at the time. And because meditation um, and mantra meditation and sound being used in that way has been a part of my life for the majority of my life, it just completely changed the way that I interacted um, with the world. I had a way of resetting my mind on a daily basis. And it profoundly shifted, um, I think, my you know overall creativity. It shifted my flexibility, meaning I was able to take what seemed like opposite concepts and bring them together. 
Um, and it shaped the way that I managed my interactions with other people because I wasn't reacting. You know, I had this buffer of silence around me created through a regular mantra practice. And so when I became a physician and I just fell in love with neurology, when I did my neurology rotation in medical school, I just knew this is what I was going to do. And everybody around me was like, oh, yeah, that's that's, you know, obvious that this would be <laughs> what you would do. Um, so I fell in love with this field that essentially treats conditions that deteriorate. I mean, the majority of the conditions in a neurological practice get worse over time. Neurodegenerative conditions like multiple sclerosis and Parkinson's disease. And so here I was in this field that I absolutely loved and I loved my patients and I would have to watch them get worse. And so this is where I started to dive back into, you know, some of the resources of my childhood and started bringing in things like meditation as part of my medical repertoire for these patients. Mm, man. What was interesting for me is it's always that personal experience, yeah. you know, in that first hand. And you had those tools. And this is also a, a big reminder that even the best of us can get off track, you know, like life is not a straight line. Absolutely. And you going to medical school, as soon as I start to read the story, I'm like, uh oh, I know what's gonna happen here. Yes. We get tied up, you know, when you, you got, do. you know, 15, 18, 20 hour days right. that you're trying to work, the meditation, and we can put that on the back burner if we don't understand that, yes. like, firsthand value in this thing, right? So you had, which so many medical students, and many of them listen to this show, you had some issues come up with your own health. Absolutely. And I think I did not fully appreciate the role of meditation in my life until it became absent. Mm. Um, and just with the hours of medical schools and then even the longer hours of residency, I started to put it aside and I saw myself change. I mean, I really became a different person. I became more reactive. Mm. Um, I was um, just not as centered. Um, I wasn't making the same kinds of decisions, you know, and my view of the world really shifted. And that's when I realized what meditation had been doing. It had been anchoring me in this place of peacefulness where I was not um, creating stories in my mind. Oftentimes, you know, there's only 10% uh, that's actually going on and you're making up 90%. And when you make up 90% of worst case scenario, you make wrong decisions. You um, spend a lot of energy in trying to protect yourself from something right. that's never going to happen. And so it was in that, in that time in my life that I really... Um, came to appreciate what meditation had given me by the absence of it. Mm. And I quickly came back to it once I finished my residency. I realized this is not the life I wanted to live. That is remarkable. Understanding the value of something from its absence. I think that's wow. usually what happens when you're exposed to something very young. You kind of take it for granted a little bit. I see that in my and my son, because he's exposed to all of these concepts and he's exposed, you know, to the idea that, uh, you know, nutrition is a foundational aspect um, to health, that it's in the absence of it. Like when somebody does take him out and, you know, he has all of this junk food, that he comes back and he goes, I just feel awful. Yeah. You know, I don't want to eat like that. So I think that's, you know, that's unfortunately a common, common scenario, but that's how we come to value something is in the absence of it. And now I, I hold on to it like for dear life because <laughs> I don't want to become yeah. the person that I became in those years. I yeah. did not recognize her. Mm. There's this statement, many people probably have said this, that you're going to miss me when I'm gone. Yes. You know? <laughs> um, so this brings us to a place of, again, tying in these two fields, right? Mm -hmm. We have this, quote, Western medicine, yes. then we have traditional medicine. And from your, uh, your lineage, from your family's experience, uh, we have Ayurveda. Yes. So can you talk a little bit about Ayurveda and talk about, for me, with my mother-in-law and teaching me these chakra meditations. Yes. I was like, well, what is a chakra? Yeah. Uh, you know, just like, but she was relating it to some science and relating yes. it to like, this matches up with this particular gland. And it, she, exactly. she just gave an expanded uh, description of them. So let's talk about that and how you kind of circled back to this with your traditionally trained mind and making it make sense. 
what happened as you know most stories go is um you're confronted with something that you can't fix yourself and so shortly after i became a neurologist i began having um, migraine headaches which i was like no problem i'm a neurologist um, I can tackle this. And I went through one medication after the next, after the next, and um, either the side effects were awful or they just weren't working. And so after a year of trying that, I again went back to my mom <laughs> and said, the guru. I, the guru, that I remember when we were young, you used to take us to these people and they used to you know, feel our pulse and they'd give us herbs. Do you think they could help me? And so she helped to organize a consultation and in the consultation, all he did was talk about my digestion. And I was convinced that he knew nothing because, you know, my brain is up here. It's not in my gut. And so I had no other choice at that point but to, um, you know, try this out because I had tried everything else and it had failed. So I started this program that he had for gut healing, which is just the basis of Ayurvedic medicine is, you know, always fix the gut first. And my headaches were gone within um, three months. Within five months, I, I had the energy I had before my medical training. Everything came back to me. And a big part of Ayurvedic medicine is meditation. You know, it incorporates not just things like um, food and herbs, but incorporates things like yoga and meditation. And Ayurvedic medicine and many ancient medical systems see us as vibrational beings. And so they treat us as vibrational beings. And so the entire system is set up to return you back to a harmony with your resonant frequency, how, how your cells naturally sing when they're healthy. And now we know with our modern science that you are a vibrational being yes. because you really are that. You are, and now what's happening is science has proven it. Now they're trying to turn that into a biological model and there's there's always this lag between what we know to be true from a scientific standpoint to how we now translate that into um, medicine and that's where this you know new field that I talk about in the book of um, biofield science is coming in to help to bridge that gap that if from a quantum standpoint we know we're vibrational beings but the way that we're addressing our patients, we're looking at them as just biochemical beings. How do we bridge that gap? Right, right. It is very, was that Newtonian science, you know, just kind of looking at it like that. But let's talk about that. Let's talk about this human biofield. So this, this idea of this human biofield actually came when um, there was a group of physicians and scientists that um, met at the NIH to look at some of the research that was coming out of you know, alternative and complementary medicine. And it forced everybody to kind of scratch their head and say, we don't have a model for why this works. And the way that medical research is chosen for printing is, if it, even if something is true, if it's true, but it doesn't fit into our biological models, they won't print it. Meaning we understand that you proved it to be true, but we don't understand why it's true. So we're not going to print it. And so, you know, this, this group was basically trying to challenge or not even challenge, but expand our paradigms of biology to allow all of this new science coming in and saying, we may not have a full understanding of what a human being is that our idea that a human being is just, you know, bone and muscle is perhaps limited. And in order for us to accept that these studies that have been done properly in acupuncture, you know, in Reiki, uh, in meditation, that we have to expand what we understand human beings to be beyond just what we're physically seeing. And we already accept that when we do an EKG, we accept that we're creating electromagnetic fields. When we do an EEG of the brain, we accept that we're creating electromagnetic fields. And so we accept that on a diagnostic term, but we don't accept it in terms of an actual paradigm that we are fields. We, we, we generate fields and part of human beings are the fact that we, we exist as energetic fields. Mm. So is this a, a, a bridge into chakras? Is that? It is. It is. And so what biofield science is looking at, and, you know, they're partly looking at many ancient traditions, but what they're looking at is that there are energy channels that are running through the body. And when you understand those energy channels, you can understand the way in which organs are being fed from an energetic standpoint. 
So just like we have nerve impulses to different organs in the body and we have blood supply to different organs in the body, we also have um, energetic channels that are plugging in the organs. And when there's a block in those channels, it has a negative impact. And that negative impact may manifest itself as a reduction of blood flow or a reduction of nerve impulse, but that it's actually coming from something even subtler and something more fundamental. Mm. And from, again, a very Newtonian, tangible place, if a nerve is blocked or damaged, it's cut off, the energy flow is, is cut off. Yes, and that's what we're seeing, like with things like acupuncture and with many of the therapies, you know, that um, we're looking at in India, that there are actually therapies that activate these energy points and start to help the healing of nerves that we have never even seen as possible. So one of the reasons that we've oftentimes looked at the nervous system as having such limited um, capacity for regeneration, I feel is we don't understand how close the nervous system is linked to the vibrational energy. And that when that gets blocked, it has such a huge impact on the nervous system. But when you start to look at the nervous system as a um, as one of the most important connections to a vibrational matri matrix or an energy field matrix, when you start to manipulate that energy field matrix, you start to see nerve regeneration in a way that we've never seen. May I share one example? Sure, absolutely. Um, we have one gentleman who's a stroke patient. He's post-stroke now um, over 10 years and had um, horrible difficulty with talking as a result of the stroke. So we did this one therapy on him for several weeks and he was able to speak again. Now, from a neurological standpoint, and it, by the way, it wasn't overnight, it took time. And you know, we have him working with a speech therapist as well that as the signals are coming back that he is learning how to use his mouth muscles again. But this is a scenario that as a traditionally trained neurologist, I would have said is absolutely impossible that somebody who has had a stroke for that long, they should not be able to recover at this point. Yeah. Wow. And there's so many stories like that. There's so and many stories. It's it's really what has brought me to India is it's we're, we're in a place where we can explore these very, very ancient um, traditions of healing um, in the context of being able to document them also scientifically and medically. Yeah. And now that we know how sound and vibration can affect uh, the conformation of our the proteins right. that literally control everything, you know, proteins are, you know, movement. And we understand that. We understand that vibration from the external, but also the internal yes. via our thoughts. Because you said something powerful earlier that like kind of baked my noodle a little bit just listening to it. You <laughs> mentioned this silent mantra. It's silent, but it's a vibration. So yes. what can you, how, what, how, how is that? So when you look at sound from a traditional standpoint, they have different, um, ways of categorizing sound. So there's the audible sound, which is created by our external environment. Um, and then there's the sound that we make with our thoughts. If you think that you are not having a constant conversation with yourself, uh, you know, just any time of the day, just stop for a moment and just listen to the dialogues that are actually happening, you know, what you're thinking about other people, what you're thinking about yourself. So we know that there's this constant dialogue happening and that is also a form of sound. And then there's a form of sound that mimics or resonates with nature's frequencies. And that sound has the ability to actually bring the mind to more and more and more relaxed states where eventually you're in a soundless state. And that is considered transcendental sound, where it's actually a soundless state, but in that state, you become, you enter into a doorway to an entire new experience of sound. That's now transcendental sound. Mm. And again, you've got so much of the this, this science on the benefits, the healing that these things can provide. Uh, with the mantra meditation. So can you talk about, and you have this in the in the book, but yes. just a couple of points on some tips for folks to potentially start or create their own mantra practice. Absolutely. So one is um, mainly just, first of all, don't be intimidated. Because I think people oftentimes when they start a new health practice, just like when they start a new diet, they think they have to do it perfectly, right? Yeah. That they have to sit in lotus position 
for an hour a day and that they have to you know go find a cave somewhere um, in Nepal or in the foothills of India and that's the only way that they're going to have a valid meditation experience and nothing could be further from the truth. I always tell people, you know, start with where you're at. If you have five minutes, start with five minutes. If you have 10 minutes, start with 10 minutes. And just to find some place that's quiet. If you can't, um, you know, sit on the ground, use a chair. Your it's the position should not limit you from doing the practice. And then there's many different ways of finding a mantra. You know, people can go like you and I did to somebody who's a teacher. Um, you know, I learned TM when I was very young. Um, they can go to somebody that can guide them through the process. I offer several um, mantras that are part of the Indian lineage, uh, Sanskrit mantras. You can choose from sources like that. I always say go to a lineage that you feel comfortable with. You know, almost every tradition has a mantra practice. But then just start. Just do it for however long that you can. And within the first few weeks, you're going to notice something is different. Every patient that I ever referred for a mantra practice, when they came back at the next visit, they were not the same person. And people around them could tell that. And they themselves could say, I'm not, you know, I'm not on edge in the same way that I was before. Yeah. Uh, so awesome. This has been phenomenal. And um, this is one of my favorite books of the year. So insightful oh, and so valuable. And we're looking at a dimension of health that just simply is not talked about. Mm -hmm. And we're bringing that conversation forward. And uh, if you could, can you let everybody know where they can pick up your book and where they can connect with you online? Absolutely. So the, the book is available everywhere that books are sold. Um, you can get it on Amazon. And my website, which is just my name, Dr. Kulreet Chaudhary, has information about myself and all of our um, social media links are on that website. Um, and, uh, you know, for people who are interested in the work that I'm doing in um, India, our website is just um, uh, SNH Center, spelled the British way, C-E-N-T-R-E dot -E com. And they can learn more about what we're doing there. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming to hang out with me today. And um, again, I know what it takes to put a book like this together. <laughs> and uh, I'm just so grateful for you and for you having the the audacity and the energy to put this together. So oh, thank, thank you. So I much. enjoy the fact that you said audacity. And this has been a pleasure. You have been just a wonderful experience and your questions have been unbelievably intelligent. Thank you. I received that. And uh, again, thank you so much for putting this together for everybody. And um, everybody, make sure to pick up a copy of Sound Medicine today. I have mine right here. I have mine. It's a really special book. And I think that you're going to get a lot of value out of it. And the practicality now is shifting. And for me, something that she said just a little bit ago that you're not the same person, this has been my experience for sure. Uh, coming from the place that I come from and just living in different environments where some of them are volatile, some of them are very peaceful and comforting and there's a sense of certainty and just being bounced around even as a kid. I think we moved maybe like 10 times, which is kind of abnormal, but just, you wouldn't think that somebody with the character that I had then growing up would be able to be somebody who's so much more patient and kind and thoughtful and compassionate and all of these character traits that just kind of blossomed in me. Those are the seeds that we have all of these in us, all of us, but it's really about the conditions and it's about um, being able to access those things. And so meditation for me was that was a doorway that really opened and helped to express these qualities that were already in me. They were just dormant. And it's made my life so much better as a result. You know, I'm no longer living in a constant state of reaction. Like she mentioned earlier, definitely was very reactive. And now I, there's like this space that's grown and developed between an, act, an activity or an event and my response. And I can choose my response oftentimes to be more thoughtful and to be more understanding. Now, it's not perfect. Somebody's gonna piss you off, of course. Like, that's gonna happen. And the most enlightened people that I know, you know, they have their times of pissosity, but they don't live their lives in a constant state of worry and anxiety and reaction. And we can be in more control of our thoughts and choosing the way we wanna feel. And it's very empowering. And sound medicine is a way to help us to get there. So definitely pick up your copy. 
and make sure to stay tuned because we've got some epic episodes coming your way very, very soon. I appreciate you so much for tuning into the show today. Take care, have an amazing day, and I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.